0: are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit HarvestBrampton.ca. Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, you are the God who reigns forevermore you're the king of kings you're the lord of lords God we invite you lord as your people as members of your kingdom as your sons and your daughters lord we invite you to speak to us right now you're the king and what you says that's all that matters and and we want to be your people we want to walk in your ways we want to hear from your word and so we pray god that you would help us to do that lord we pray that your word right now would be preached with faith and received with faith, believing that, that you are a God who, who has spoken and continues to speak. And so we invite you, Lord, to speak through your word uh, right now. Lord, we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Well, this is a a house of prayer weekend for our church. That means that tonight at 7 o'clock, we're going to be gathering at our ministry center as a church family to seek the Lord together in a prayer. And today, we're going to be looking at a prayer from Colossians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can open uh, your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers can help you out uh, with that. They're just going to come up and down the aisle right now. If you need one, just raise your hand uh, or holler at them. Have you ever found yourself... Uh, making this statement. Uh, I just want to know God's will. Maybe it's a, a career direction issue. Maybe it's a relationship definition uh, issue. Maybe it's a, a financial a direction uh, issue. A, a decision needs to be made. And, and, and we obsess, don't we, with knowing God's will. And sometimes we turn to the Bible in in, in misguided but well-meaning ways and we think, well maybe I should lay out a fleece the way Gideon did. Or or maybe I need to wait for some sort of an, an open door. Or sometimes we ask the Spirit to sort of breathe on the pages to open up to some random Bible verse that would guide us or direct us. Or maybe we're just waiting for that subjective sense of Peace that people talk about. Well, I have peace about this, so it must be God's will. You know, this this preoccupation with the future and this desire to, to live a fulfilled life, and this fear that somehow we might be outside of God's will at any moment in time causes us to be really paranoid and, and, and paralyzed with. With fear, we become indecisive, we we become anxious, we become unproductive because of this focus, this obsession with wanting to know God's will. Well, in Colossians 1 today, we're going to see a familiar request. Paul is going to pray for this church that they would know God's will. And so the request is going to be familiar, but the reason behind the request and the results of the request are quite different. Because so often when the New Testament talks about the will of God, it's using the same words that we're using. But there's a very different meaning behind it. So today we're going to learn how to truly, what does it mean to truly pray for the will of God in our lives. And so it's going to come at us in, uh, in, in, in three parts today. The request, the reason, and the result. Let's get into the passage, verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness. And transfer to you from the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul begins in verse 9 by saying, so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. And then he's going to show them the way that he's been praying. The reason why he says, from the day we heard, is because Paul had actually never visited Colossae. The church at Colossae and the apostle Paul had a mutual friend named Epaphras. And Epaphras was the one who took the message of the gospel from a place where Paul was preaching and then brought it to Colossae. And when Paul heard that God was doing this amazing work in their church, he he told them how he was praying for them. And this is his request, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so here's the request, if you're taking notes today, jot this down, the request is to have a mind that knows God's will. To have a mind that knows God's will. And you might be here today and be like, that's exactly what I want. You know, in, in, in a, a relationship, I'm trying to decide if, if, if I should get married to this person. Or in my career, I'm trying to decide what job to take. Or academics, what school I should go to. What is God's will for my life? Well, notice how Paul prays. First off, he prays that we would be filled. It's passive. He's praying that God would do it to us, not that we would figure it out. Sometimes we think about God's will like, you know, he's hiding it behind our back. And we have to be like, come on, God, show me. Show me your will. And he's just sort of like teasing us like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to show you. That's not it. He prays that God would fill us with the knowledge of God's will. And so it's God that does it for us. We don't need to fill ourselves or find God's will ourselves. But what does he mean when he says, filled with the knowledge of his will? You see, there is this general sense in which God has a plan. And that sometimes is referred to in the Bible as the will of God. That that God has an overarching plan for the whole world. And that he has an overarching plan even for our lives. But when Paul prays for the will of God to be known by this church... He's not praying about that. He's not praying that they would all know what job to take or who they should marry or what career decision is in front of them. No, he's praying that they would know God's will on a deeper level, God's will that's already been revealed. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 4:3, Paul defines the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God's, what's God's plan for your life? God's plan for your life is that you would be sanctified. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy, of, of living out our new identity, Christ died for us, justified us, and so we're declared righteous, but then sanctification is the process of living out that declaration in our lives. That's the will of God. That's what Paul is praying. It's not so much that you find the right soulmate, the one in six billion person that's just right for you to marry. Trust me, when you get married, you're gonna feel like that way. But to take the pressure off a little bit for the for the for the single people among us, is it's not so much finding that right person, but having a right view of what marriage is. And and so the Bible makes it very clear that when you're looking for someone, what is God's will? Well, God's will is that you not be unequally yoked. So God's will is so that that cuts out you know an an unbeliever as a as a potential uh, spouse. But there are. There are multiple options that are open to us as long as we we know that when we make that promise, that is a promise that we cannot go back on. As we're trying to decide, oh, should I work for this company or should I work for, uh, for, for, for that company? Should I go back to school or should I just stay in the job that I'm in right now? Again, it's not so much choosing this company or that, that God's going to somehow punish you if you choose another career path. But the issue is, what kind of a worker are you going to be? That is God's will. Are you going to serve with faithfulness? Are you going to work hard? That is the will of God. We spend so much time looking for God to to tell us what the future holds for us, that we lose sight of the fact that he's given us about 1,500 pages worth of content that we need to learn. Our mission statement is to go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus defined discipleship in this way. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then he said, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. That's God's will. Everything that God has commanded, that is the will of God. And so our focus needs to be get off of the future and just onto to faithfulness. What does it look like for me to live as a faithful Christian right here right now. And then it says that we would do this that we may be filled with all knowledge and spiritual wisdom. Now some people, they hear those words, oh, knowledge, spiritual wisdom. It sounds like this sort of mystical thing that God reveals his will and the clouds in the sky and the way the Cheerios and your bowl arrange one another. Listen, the word wisdom there is a rubber-hits-the-road everyday normal life kind of a word. So don't think, oh, spiritual wisdom. No, it's it's not mysticism, it's Monday morning. It's it's how you live your life. Take the will of God, know the will of God, and then be filled with wisdom. Play it out in your everyday life. The book of Proverbs is, is, is the the. the the pinnacle of of wisdom in, in the Bible. And this is what, I love this statement in Proverbs 4. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. The most important part, the most wisest decision that you can make is to pursue to become more wise. Wise people know that they don't have it all together. And it's so wise to continue to pursue wisdom, to continue to pursue the will of God in your life And to live it out. And then he goes on in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. So the request is to have a mind that knows the will of God. And then here's the reason behind the request. To live a life that shows God is worthy. To live a life that shows God is worthy. It uses the phrase walk there. And walk was a, a metaphor for the culture at that time for how you live your life. You know, you can tell a lot about a person based on the way that they walk. You can tell how they're doing, how they feel about life, how they feel about themselves. If someone comes into a room, you know, walking like this, you, you have an indication about how they think their life is going. But if someone comes into a room, you know, walking like this, you, you, you have a very different picture, don't you? And so, Walking is a a metaphor for how you carry yourself, how you live your life. It's a, really, it's a really good metaphor because walking is progressive, isn't it? You know, you put one step in front of the other you make progress. In the same way, our life is progress. We're changing. We're growing. God is taking us from the place of immaturity to the place of maturity. And we're continually moving forward. It's also intentional. You got out of the parking lot from your car or from the bus today and you walked in here. There was intentionality. You you saw a place you wanted to go and you walked there and we're supposed to be living our lives with intentionality and on a purpose. But what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, that phrase worthy, the Greek word is axios. It's where we get our word axis from. It's, It's actually the word used to describe the bar at the top of a scale. And the axios is is what is balancing out the two things on the other. So the image that Paul is using here is that you have your life on one side and that your life needs to measure up. It needs to balance with who God is. And I mean, when you think about who God is and who we are, right, that should be pretty, um, um, pretty imbalanced. And yet our goal as God works in our lives, that our lives would reflect the character, the beauty, the holiness, the love of God. That people would look at our lives and it would line up and they'd say, well, that would make sense. The way they're behaving makes sense because they believe in God. The the way that they're acting right now measures up because I know that that person is a Christian. And that's how Paul prays that we would live a life that is worthy of the Lord. That there would be a weightiness and a depth to the way that we live, to the way that we walk, to the way that we carry ourselves. And then he says at the end of verse, or the middle of verse 9, verse 10, sorry, fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. Loved ones, this is freedom to live a life that's fully pleasing uh, to him. Uh, Just hands up, if you're like me, if there was a time in your life where you just were fully focused on pleasing yourself. Don't, Don't leave me alone up here. You just did everything you could to make yourself happy. And how did that work out for you? Not very good, did it? And, and the things that you thought would make you happy when you got them, you ended up being miserable. And the things that you thought would fill you up when you got them, they ended up being totally empty. And so we're being freed from f- trying to fully please ourselves to fully pleasing God. Now, put your hand up if you've ever had a season in your life where you were just trying to please some other person. And, and your whole focus was just trying to keep someone else happy, maybe a friend, maybe someone in your family, maybe a boss, right? And that's not, that's not a cakewalk either, is it? Trying to please someone else. Now, put both hands up if you've ever had a situation where there were two different people who you were trying to keep happy at once. And then do what it feels like when you get in that kind of situation. You're pulled in this direction and then that direction and then person number three comes along and person number four and you can barely move because you're trying to please other people. But freedom comes when you say, enough with you, enough with you and you and you and you and I am focused on fully pleasing the Lord. There is so much freedom that comes in those situations, so that's what God is calling us to. That's that's the request that Paul's pray for. That that's the reason that he gives that we would walk in a manner that's worthy. And now we're going to get into the results. This is what Paul is hoping will happen in light of uh, God answering this prayer. And in order to really get a, a grasp of the results, I just want to show you the passage from a different translation. This is the New International Version. There's a very different translation philosophy in the NIV compared to the translation that I use, the English Standard Version. But I think they do a really good job of translating this passage. So beginning of verse 10, it says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So rather than using the word walk, which is there in the Greek, they... they They explain the metaphor in the translation. They say, live a life worthy of the Lord. And then it says, fully pleasing him in every way. And then different from the ESV, they actually put a colon there to introduce a list. Because in the Greek, there are four participles, which the NIV brings out by translating with four ING words here. It says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the father. And so Paul gives this list. This is the result of what Paul is praying for. So you can look at the look at the passage this way, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge, being strengthened and giving joyful thanks. And so that these are the results that we're going to be uh, looking at uh, today. And we're going to look at them in pairs, two groups of two. Here's the first group. Bearing fruit and increasing in knowledge. Bearing fruit and increasing in knowledge. So getting back into the text, I'm in the middle of verse 10. It says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, God has given us fruit that we are supposed to Produce. If you have a a tree in your backyard, you're trying to figure out what what kind of a tree it is, you wait until springtime. You see what kind of fruit is being produced on this tree. And so if you're trying to figure out, is that person a Christian? Am I a Christian? You're looking for fruit, the fruit of the spirit in a person's life or in our own lives. And the fruit of the spirit is it's not just It's not just our character traits. It doesn't just stop there. As the Spirit works in our lives and bears fruit, it says, in every good work, there are works, there are actions that come as a result of that fruit bearing in our lives. And so my question to you is, is the fruit in your life, is it translating into good works? As God is working in your life, Are you engaged in good works? Are there things that have happened, things you've done in the last 24 hours that you wouldn't have done if you weren't a Christian and coming to church doesn't count? Are there good works that you were engaged in in the last 24 hours that would not make sense unless God was on the other side of the scale, unless you were living a a life worthy of who he is? Think back the last seven days. Think back the last six to 12 months. What have you been involved in that is clear indication that there is fruit in your life? What is scheduled into your calendar this coming week to show that there is fruit, that there is fruit, that there is works? Now, we're not saved by works. We're saved by the work, the finished work that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. But we are saved for works. God wants to put fruit in our lives. He wants to to, to see us engaged in these works, And then the the second thing is increasing in knowledge. Increasing in the knowledge of God. So the prayer began with knowledge of God's will. But now he's saying, if we were to know God's will, then that would mean that we would increase in simply knowing God. Not just increase in our knowledge of God's will, but to know God. God's will is that we would know Him better. He wants to relate to us as father to sons and daughters. His will is that we would know him. And so are you increasing in your knowledge of God. And let me show you how knowledge and fruit, these works, let me show you how this is all interconnected. This is the way a Christian life is supposed to go. We increase in knowledge, and we increase in fruit, and, and, and that fruit produces good works. That as those, both things are happening, they go together, and both are increasing in the life of a Christian. But unfortunately, what happens in so many of our lives, and one of the reasons why I'm up here teaching this right now is because we don't increase in knowledge. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you grow in your knowledge right now. Your knowledge of who God is by teaching you. And, by, and, and, and when we read our Bibles on our own and when we choose to listen to a sermon podcast rather than to, rather than to, to just whatever is on the, on the radio, we are, we, are in, we are increasing in our knowledge of God. But if the knowledge isn't increasing, then the fruitfulness won't increase. The two things go together. But then there's another situation. Sometimes knowledge increases. You know, we got a podcast in our ears 24-7. We're continually learning all the time. But we're not doing anything with what we're learning. And loved ones, the gap between our knowledge and our fruit is called hypocrisy. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so Paul prays that, that fruit would be happening and that increasing knowledge would happen as well. The more that we put into practice what God is teaching us, the more we're going to know who God is and what he's done for us. I love how F.F. Bruce summed this up. He said, obedience to the knowledge of God which has already been received is a necessary and certain condition for the reception of further knowledge. Some of us might be praying a prayer like this, God, I want to know you more. I want to know more about you. And God might be saying something like this, you know what, I would love to show you more, but look what you're doing with I've already taught you. Nothing. And so why why would I draw you closer? Why would I teach you more if you're not putting into practice what I've already taught you? Some of us are thinking, "God, I want to be in the realm. You know I want a PhD. in knowing you." And God's like, as far as obedience goes right now, you're in like junior kindergarten. And so there's steps. and so you can't just get all of this knowledge without seeing the fruit, without putting it into place, without taking action. So increasing in knowledge goes together with bearing fruit, and then getting strength goes together with giving thanks, getting strength. And giving thanks. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What could it be? What, what would be the reason why God would want to strengthen us with all power, according to his glorious might? Would it be so that we could you know, start a business and be greatly prosperous? Is that why he would give us that power? Would it be so that we could write excellent papers and ace all of our exams and, and succeed academically? Could it be that, 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 that we would be a, a hard worker and climb the corporate ladder? Could it be that we would preach amazing sermons or, or, or perform miracles even? Why why would God want to give us his glorious might? Why would he want to strengthen us with all power? Well, look at the verse. For, here's the reason, for all endurance and patience. Really? God's going to make all this power available to us, but there's a a purpose behind the power. There's a reason why he's... Giving us that power because he wants us to be able to endure and to be patient. Well, can't we sign up for something? Can't we get the same thing but use it for something a little more showy? A little more goey? Something that will get a little bit more no? No. God has this abundant power that he is looking to pour out on his people for a specific purpose. That they would be able to endure and that they would be able to be Patient. Endurance is don't give up. Patience is don't blow up. Endurance has to do with your circumstances. Patience has to do with other people. Someone on Saturday night said, you know, when porcupine people come into your life, how do you respond? Do you have patience? The Greek word there simply means to have a long fuse. You know in cartoons where you know the wily e. coyote lights a piece of a, di- a dynamite and there's a long fuse you know when he goes over here and lights it, it takes so long before it explodes that's patience that we're able to to put up with difficult people in our lives without blowing up some of us you know we have a you know we have a you know uh, three eighths of an inch kind of a- kind of a fuse and 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 it's just like as soon as it's lit, boom. Others of us think we have a long fuse. But our explosions are, are more, it's, it's more, it's simmering. It's stewing. So we think we have a long fuse, but really we blew up a long time ago and the explosion's still happening. And sometimes we can self-righteously look down on those people, but those people, are they're just wearing their heart on their sleeve a little bit more. We're, we can all be the same way. You might not have raised your voice in the last 20 years, but you could still have a huge anger problem. And so Paul prays that we would grow in patience, and so this is restraint instead of retaliation. And God wants to make his power available to us. You know, it's been so cool to study the life of David together, and um uh, in our Searching for a King a series. And yeah, God's power was totally made available to David so that he could fight Goliath. But isn't it true that God's power, even more so, was evident in David's life so that he could forgive Saul? That's the power of God. That kind of patience with that kind of an enemy. And then endurance. I said, so patience is don't blow up. Endurance is don't give up. Endurance is resolve instead of retreat. That the, the Greek word means to remain under. The, to 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 allow God to teach us what we need to be uh, taught. Warren Wearsby said, if we don't learn to be patient, we are not likely to learn anything else. How true is that? And so we're we're so often trying to escape. Out of the the classroom of suffering or difficulty that God has put us in for a purpose. And so this can be uh, circumstances related to to our own sinfulness. Sometimes when we give in to that temptation again, we think, you know what, what is the point? Am I even a Christian? Why do I keep giving in to the same habitual sin, the, the, the call to endurance, even with disappointment, to know that God is with us and is changing us? It can also be endurance with our circumstances, like something like Illness. And uh, tonight, we're going to pray for a a number of people in our church. We're going to pray for healing for them, but we're also going to pray for them in the midst of of their illness, that God would give them endurance and strength. And uh, one of them, as I was talking to them this week, she's a grandmother, and one of her granddaughters said to her, you know what, Grandma, you're so strong. And she said, no, I am not strong. God is strong. That's the kind of endurance that Paul is getting at. That's the kind of result of knowing the will of God in your life. Some of you are probably saying, okay, okay, fine. I'll be patient and I'll endure, but I won't like it. We'll keep reading the verse. It says, with endurance and patience, with joy. How can we endure with patience and joy? Now, some of us think that, well, in order to have joy, you just need to sort of find a silver lining in your situation or know that, you know, even though you have it pretty bad, there's probably someone else who's suffering even worse, right? And listen, sometimes that's helpful to get some perspective, but that's not the ultimate answer. That will not give you joy. The joy comes from giving thanks. Giving thanks for the kinds of things that Paul Lists here. You know, thankfulness is so vitally important. If, if, if you're raising kids or have raised kids, you know this. You never have to teach the word mine. That one comes wired in. It, it, you know, whatever your child's first word is, you know, mama or dada, chances are word four or five is mine for sure. You don't have to teach it, but we do, don't we? We have to teach thank you. we In every situation, every circumstance, you know, we prep our kids. Okay, so when this happens, you're going to say thank you. And then in the moment, they don't say it. And so then you say thank you. Like, say thank you. We have to be trained to give thanks. Listen, loved ones, it's not about politeness. It's about power. There is power in gratitude. Because entitlement... And discontentment is a force that has the power to destroy a person from the inside out. And thankfulness is the weapon that fights that tendency. Romans chapter 1, as, as, as the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit is laying out the indictment against humankind, just stuck right in there, says, and they refused to give thanks. So thankfulness is the key. How do we endure? How do we have patience with difficult people, with hard circumstance? It's thanksgiving. But thanksgiving for something specific. Some of us, we hear other mature Christians say something like, you know what, I'm, I'm thankful for this cancer. I, I'm thankful for this hardship. And some of you might, be, you might be going through the same struggle. You're like, I'm not thankful for that. Well, listen, you may never get to the point of being thankful for whatever your trial may be. But the the key comes from not focusing on the trial, but focusing on what Paul is about to say here. He says, giving thanks to the Father, I'm in verse 12, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what we're thankful for. And it's when we get this into our hearts and into our lives that we can understand whatever struggle we're facing, this is what allows us to endure and to be patient. It uses the word inheritance there that we're qualified to share in the inheritance. And inheritance is something you receive from your ancestors those who have gone before you. All of us, every human being on planet Earth, is under the inheritance of Adam and Eve. And we were written into their will. And what's their inheritance? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, cursed be the ground because of you, and you shall surely die. That is the inheritance that we have, that is coming to us, not simply because of what Adam and Eve did, but because of what all of us have done. Because we've done things we shouldn't have done, we've said things we shouldn't have said, we've thought things we shouldn't have thought. We are all guilty and the wages of sin is death. But the Bible here says that we have been qualified to share in a different inheritance, the inheritance of the saints. The inheritance that comes from being transferred from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because here's the amazing thing. And if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, listen very carefully because this is the message of Christianity right now. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross and suffered and died, he was taking on our inheritance. What should happen to all of us. That he took death, that he took ashes, that he took the curse. He took all of those things on himself. And he died as our substitute and he was buried and then three days later he rose again. And he rose again, why? So that we could be written into his father's will. So that we could have his inheritance. Who deserves to go to heaven? Am I going to get into heaven? Are you going to get into heaven? No one deserves to get into heaven except the one who came from heaven, Jesus Christ. But we are written into his inheritance. And so Jesus receives the family home as an inheritance. And so he gets to live in heaven. And we have been written into the will. We are sons and daughters who are part of the family. So the heavenly home is now our home. And Jesus was treated the way that we deserve to be treated. And so that we are now treated the way only he deserves to be. To be treated, so we have been qualified to share in this inheritance. And notice at the end of verse twelve and into verse thirteen, the contrast of light and darkness. The inheritance is an inheritance of light. We used to be in this domain of darkness, loved ones. All of us used to be in darkness. Some of us here right now, some some people who we love very dearly are still walking in darkness. But we can be thankful that Christ has come and brought light into our lives. Uh, this past week, Lindsay and I had the rare uh, privilege to to travel to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, to be a part of uh, a gathering called the Great Commission Collective, a, 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 a gathering of churches who are going to plant churches, and it was an amazing time. But we were on we were in a different time zone because we were way out west, and so we're up at like five thirty in the morning with nothing to do, and and so. Um, we, we thought, well, you know what? There was a, right by the hotel where we were. There was there was a, a mountain, and maybe we could go for maybe we go for a hike. We went outside. It was pitch black, but I had my I had my iPhone, and so I, I thought, well, just get directions to the mountain hiking trail. And weird thing about Phoenix, there's no streetlights, so it was pitch black. There's no cars on the road, and so we're walking along using the gps and it's it's telling us that like it's somewhere here we can't see anything we can't see the mountain we can't see a sign we saw a car go into what looked like a driveway and thought well maybe that's it turned out it was and so we're walking around for about 30 minutes trying to getting to the place and then loved ones and then the sun came up and that made all the difference we could see the mountain we could see the city. And so we start walking up the mountain and saw all these beautiful vistas, all, these, all this beautiful scenery that we never could have seen unless there was light. And then we came down the mountain, which was a lot harder to climb than we expected. Came down the mountain, came out that little driveway, and what do we see? This, this massive sign, the size of a house, hiking trail this way. Listen, we were in darkness so we couldn't make sense of our surroundings. But this is what we can be thankful for. That we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness. Now we're receiving that inheritance of the saints in light. And so now we see things. And listen, we may not have the whole picture. But we can look at our suffering and our struggles. And we have light. We're not in the darkness just trying to, using our little tools, trying to make our way through. No, we have seen the light. And the light helps us to see what's going on around us. And so we can give thanks. Even even if we are struggling, we can still be thankful that we can see that there is purpose. I'm suffering, but I'm in the light. I know that Christ suffered. And there was a meaning for his suffering. So I know that there must be a meaning for my suffering. And so we can give thanks. And it goes on to say, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, that's freedom from slavery and the forgiveness of sins. All of us were guilty, but Christ made it possible for us to be forgiven. And so, loved ones, we have so much. This is, this is God's will for us. Paul prayed for God's will, and he ends the prayer that we would be people who would be giving thanks. It says in another passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so we're going we're to take a moment right now, we're going to close in prayer, we're going to give thanks to the Lord, then we're going to sing a song of thanksgiving, thanking him for saving us. So let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you right now that you have chosen to save us and to rescue us. And God, we thank you that we have been granted qualification, Lord, to, to inherit what only belongs to Jesus Christ, your son, but that you have made us your sons and your daughters. God, thank you that no matter what we're going through, that we, one thing we know for sure is that we are not in the dark, but that we are in the light and we can make sense of our circumstances, Lord. Because we know that you are good, and we know that you are in control. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would do a work in in our church, Lord. I pray that we would be a church filled with prayer. That we would pray to know God's will, but to know God's will in a biblical way. To know your will, Lord, to know what it means to follow you and walk closely with you, God. And that we would receive strength, God, that we would bear fruit, that we would endure by your strength. And, God, that we would give thanks to you. And so, God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ who made all of this possible, God. And so we say by your spirit, thank you, God, for saving me. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.